Welcome to another episode of Motorsport of the Americas. This week we are joined by Matt Clark. He joins us uh, to talk about his upcoming season in USF Pro 2000 and how he's quickly been climbing the open wheel ranks on his own personal road to Indy. Uh, Matt has had a tremendous amount of success in his young career starting out in Canada before moving into USF 4 and then into USF Juniors and beyond. So he is uh, he's going to be going into the, the third step of, of what is unofficially now called uh, the road to Indy. So it's USF Juniors, USF 2000, then USF Pro 2000. So he's found himself at the top of, uh, of that three-step ladder. And, uh, and like we'll hear from him, he's definitely has his eye on you know one place and one place only, uh, and that is to get to IndyCar and uh, you know get to the Indy 500. And you know he's hoping to have just as much success there uh, as he's had every step of the way so far. Uh, he also talks to us about representing Canada uh, in the wider world of racing, uh, balance and race car driving with attending college. You know having something that resembles a social life. Uh, and again, you know his his ultimate goal, which is to win the Indy 500. Uh, so great conversation. Uh, with Mac, you know, he's a young guy, 18 years old. He's in his second year of college. Uh, so great, great amount of insight from him. And, uh, you know, as as always with people that join us, uh, really get a lot out of the conversation. And, uh, you know, hopefully you'll find it enjoyable as well. Uh, before we get to that, got some, some updates, some news. You know, F1 uh, is just about getting ready to get started with their season. You know, Drive to Survive, of course, came out last week. I don't know uh, how many of you may have binge-watched all of that already. Uh, I did, you know, eight episodes on Friday and then finished it up on on Saturday morning. Uh, but, you know, more importantly, uh, on track, uh, the F1 had three days of testing last week as well in Bahrain. So they do three days of testing at uh, the same track that this week's this weekend's race will take place. Uh, Haas emerged from those three days of testing as the top team on the grid in number of laps completed. So... You know, uh, good for Haas to be in, in you know, P1 in, in something. Uh, you can certainly understand why they might want to spend as much time out on track as humanly possible, uh, given, you know, their their struggles last year. Uh, their, need to, their new team principal uh, stepped into place as well. And, you know, there was some talk that uh, they're really looking to focus on their, their tire degradation and trying to improve on that from last season, which... You know, hopefully they can show some improvement there. It seems like a relatively short hill to uh, to climb, uh, given how much they struggle with their tire issues uh, last season. Unfortunately, uh, Haas's times were down near the bottom. Uh, you know, most of Haas's preseason talk has been again, you know, trying to uh, trying to improve on tire degradation uh, and hoping that leads to better performances in races. You know, we certainly saw several times last year, uh, particularly with uh, with Hulkenberg. You know. They were able to get into Q3. They were able to start, you know, in the top 10, but, uh, you know, just just weren't able to keep the car uh, in the points places for, for too, too long, uh, you know, too many times to their liking. Uh, Kevin Magnuson spoke positively about how everything is going with Ayu Komatsu uh, so far. That's the new team principal. Uh, you know, he was also honest about their expectations heading into the season, which, like, as we talked about a couple weeks ago, uh, their expectations for, for the beginning of the season are, are not terribly high, uh, which, you know, is understandable. But at the same time, this is this is the, the time of year where you're you're, you're trying to put your uh, you put, put your best face out there and be as positive as you can. Uh, but again, they put in more laps than anybody else. And uh, that at least shows that they're working hard to try and come up with solutions, get a really uh, a good feel for the car and, uh, you know, and, and see what they can do early on in the year. Uh, also, you know, Logan Sargent uh, logged laps on day one and two of preseason testing for Williams. Uh, he placed 11th on both days. Now, you know, there's not too, too much to read into, you know, individual lap times or, or really, uh, you know, too, too much from the testing because we, we don't know what type of fuel loads they're running, uh, what the setup is, you know, what they're working on. You know, is it is it race pace? Is it, you know, qualifying? You know, there's all sorts of different, uh, well, tests that they run during testing. So it's very, very challenging to really take any conclusions away uh, from the, you know, from, from the timesheets from last week. But the timesheets are there and they're the only ones that we have so far. Uh, so it's good to see at least, you know, at least starting things off, uh, Logan was able to place himself 11th on both days. 
uh, you know, his first day out, he ran uh, just did 21 laps on day one, uh, but put in a lot of work on day two. He had the third highest number of laps on day two. Uh, he went around the Bahrain circuit 117 times. Uh, so again, you know, similar to Haas. Uh, the only place that uh, that Sargent can go this season is is up, you know, compared to last year. And at the very least, you know, he got himself out on track, uh, you know, for for a good amount of time over those couple of days. Uh, you know, F1.com did some projections. Uh, you know, they had Williams projected to be, you know, uh, well off the pace uh, in both qualifying and race sim uh, calculations. Uh, you know, for Sargent in his second season, you know, hopefully he can get an early points finish. I think that would do him a lot of good uh, for his confidence and, uh, you know, and certainly take some pressure off of him, you know, early on in his uh, his second season in F1. And, and if, you, if you're following F1 at all, uh, at all closely, you know, the one the one big talking point that is going to develop as this season goes on is that there's 12 drivers uh, whose contracts are up at the end of 2024 yeah, and, and Logan Sargent is is one of those 12 yeah, so yeah, I'm sure he feels the pressure uh, but hopefully he, he feels good about the three days of testing you know and I'm, I'm sure Williams is, is you know they've invested in him for another year uh, so I'm sure they're doing everything they can to help him be prepared for his second season and, and trying to get some some early results early on in the year to, you know, back that decision uh, and, and give and give Logan some confidence as we, uh, you know, as we head into the spring and summer, um, you know, because silly season in terms of uh, driver contracts, that, that seems like the whole season is going to be silly season. Um, so hopefully uh, he gets off to a good start, you know, and it'd be nice to see something from Haas as well. I, you know, I don't, you know, between Sargent and the two Haas drivers, you know, I don't know too, too, uh, you know, I don't know how much we're going to see there in terms of success next weekend, but you know, hopefully, uh, hopefully some positives emerge, uh, you know, from Haas and and from Sargent. And uh, so with that, we we're going to get to our, our interview with uh, with with Matt Clark, and uh, you know, he's uh, our first open wheeled guest to uh, to come on the show. And so you know, again, another uh, another new perspective, uh, you know, talking about a, a series that we uh, that we haven't spent time on yet. So uh, enjoy that, and uh, we'll we'll catch you on the other side. All right, we're joined by Matt Clark today. Mac is a open wheel race car driver who is taking uh, uh, taking steps up the ladder pretty quickly. And in 2024, he is going to find himself doing a full season uh, in USF Pro 2000, uh, which is the third stop in what used to be called the Road to Indy. And uh, he's a young Canadian driver that certainly seems to be uh, on his way to, to reaching all the goals that he has for himself uh, in the open wheel world. Uh, and so with that, Mac, I uh, just want to say thanks for coming on. And, uh, you know, can you tell us about, you know, 2024 and, and, and what you're, uh, what you're most excited about? First off, thank you for having me. I'm excited to be on the, on the show. I mean, any uh, opportunity like this is smiled upon by young drivers. Um, in 2024, like you mentioned, I'm going to be running a full campaign in USF Pro 2000, uh, with D-Force Racing and be piloting the number seven car. So I'm really excited about that. Uh, moving up the ladder again. And I'm, uh, I mean, St. Pete. It's only like 18 days away, but who's counting? <laughs> yeah. So how do you, you know, how do you get ready for that? You know, you're, you're also, uh, you know, you're in your, your second year of, of college or, or university. Uh, you, you've got a full season at, at a high level racing coming up as well. So how do you, you know, what is, what is your off season? Uh, what, what does that look like? You know, from when the 2023 season, net, 2023 season ends to get yourself ready, you know, you, you've got three weeks to go now. So what is, what does that all look like? I always joke to people like race car drivers don't have a legitimate off season. <laughs> so competition ends in September, right? So that's kind of like, you know, the end of our championship year, but then you go right into, you know, postseason testing. Uh, so things ramp up pretty quick. I spend a lot of time in the gym on campus. So I'm working with uh, a proper trainer now in pro perform, uh, Sam Feldman. He's really helping me out and he's gotten me on a regimen now to where no, I actually enjoy going to the gym. I used to hate it. <laughs> and now I'm kind of getting better at uh, I've, I've given it a little bit of love. So, you know, between going to the gym, um, the simulator work, that's big behind the scenes. And then, you know, if we can put together funding for a proper off-season testing program, that's always uh, a big help and a, and a step in the right direction for starting strong in 2024. 
Yeah, yeah, definitely. I, I, th I think we talked to some other drivers as well that said the same thing. It's it's not really an off season. Um, and yeah, you, you talked about the, the the weight room. That's actually the first time that uh, that that's really kind of come up with with anyone that we've talked to. You know how? I guess one way like is you know how big of a factor is, is that? And and you know if that's not your thing, you know how how far are you able to kind of maybe put that off until you realized okay, I'm I'm just gonna have to. This is just gonna have to become part of what I do. I think at the level that I'm getting to now, it is a hundred percent a necessity, excuse me. Uh, it's extremely important and open wheel cars. I mean, you watch the guys that drive IndyCar car to track like Barber, right? And it literally looks like they're wrestling an alligator for like 92 laps. It's incredible. You have to be extremely fit to drive open wheel at the top level. And now I'm kind of getting that threshold where I think, you know, in USF Pro 2000, in uh, Indy Next, and in IndyCar, it's very important to be in the best shape you can be. Uh, you don't want to let, you know, that physical aspect of being a race car driver hold you back. Yeah, sure. I remember there was, I think there was one race, uh, an F1 race last year where I think it was when Nick DeVries, two years ago, Nick DeVries kind of got thrown in at the last second and they said he like wasn't physically, he couldn't get out of the car because his arms were, his arms were just gone. Uh, any car doesn't have power steering, right? Is that also applicable to all the cars that you've driven to this point? Have you not had the benefit of, of uh, power steering like the rest of us? Yeah, we're not so uh, luxurious on the USF Pro Championships, no power steering. Uh, so it does get quite tough. I mean, you're on lap, you know, 20, 25 of a 30 lap race and you start to feel a little bit in those forearms if you're not in the gym, that's for sure. Yeah, definitely. Now, that, that's not, you know, talk about like the sim racing and you've you've taken your rig with you to, to, to university. Is there any way to, is there any way you can emulate that, uh, you know, with with the sim racing setup, the, the not having the power steering or, you know, is that something that you can't really uh, get a feel for uh, when you're when you're doing it that way? I think it is a little bit tough with the sim just because you don't have that real life G-force, right? So when you're in a race car, you know, we're pulling, you know, between two and a half and probably four Gs. I mean, that's a rough estimate. I'm no scientist, mm -hmm. but I mean, on a sim, you're just kind of sitting there. <laughs> so you're not really getting that same pull. Uh, so a lot of that we try to prep for in the weight room. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, I mean, that makes a lot of sense. I mean, I think it gets, like you said, it gets to a point where you don't want that to be the thing that, uh, you know, that holds you back as you're, and you know, again, as you're, you're moving up to a new level. Um, and, but and then going, you know, all the way back to, to how you got started, um, you know, it kind of started off as a hobby for you. Uh, and then it kind of evolved from there. But also in the background, that whole time, you actually have a pretty, pretty extensive family history in karting as well. Yeah, so grandfathers on both sides of my family actually raced, and I didn't know this until much later in my life. Um, my dad before me, he was very heavy into competitive karting. He got into it, you know, later um, in his life, in his 30s, and he actually did well. Like, I don't tell him too often, but, you know, he was a good driver. <laughs> he won three national championships, represented Team Canada a bunch of times. So I kind of grew up at the racetrack, but didn't take proper interest until I was about nine or 10 years old. And then I jumped into karting as, as kind of like a hobby. Now that, is that, is that, is that late to get started in karting? Or I mean, nine or 10 year olds, you know, the average 10 year old anyway is still <laughs> six years away from driving anything. I would say it is a little bit late. Yeah. For those that don't follow motorsport, I mean, you hear the stories, like, I think it's like Fernando Alonso is in at three years old, right? You know, most kids in Europe that want to go open wheel racing, they start five, six, seven. So when you start at 10 or 11 and, you know, maybe you're not taking it as serious, you, you are a little bit behind in terms of development as a race car driver. Sure. Yeah. No, that makes a lot of sense. Uh, but obviously, I mean, you, you must have been able to to get caught up in a relatively short amount of time. I mean, how did your how did your karting career uh, progress, and 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 you know, and how did it feel to end up uh, you representing Team Canada? It was, it was on two different occasions. Uh, so, you know, how how did that, how did all that feel, and how did that go? Honestly, I look back on it, and I can't believe how quick it happened. Like, I literally went from you know club racing at a regional level to, like you mentioned, representing Team Canada on the world stage in the span of four years. It was it was zero to 100 so fast. So I really have to credit a lot of that to my father who raced before me. You know, he was my biggest coach. He's the one who taught me how to drive. I owe all my success to him, uh, as well as Prime Power Team and uh, Trevor Wickens, brother of Robert Wickens, who was uh, in, in DTM and IndyCar before his um, unfortunate big crash. But 
those guys are really the ones who took me from just being, you know, a regular club driver. And then after doing a year of racing, I decided I wanted to get more serious. And then it was a crazy progression. I mean, we moved into two stroke cards and then from there it was just lights out and away we go. Yeah. What, what is that like? How competitive, it, you know, it is karting? I mean, is, is it, is it similar to, you know, some of the open wheel series where it's a spec series? Everything's really, really close together. Uh, but I mean, cars, is, there's not much, there's not much more to the cart. There's really not much there. Uh, so, you know, what, what is that a kind of a different feel to be, you know, you're that much closer to everybody and, and, you know, how, how competitive is it as you, as you kind of start to move up from, you know, club level to, to a higher level? I think once you get to the national or international level, everybody is razor sharp. It's, it's pretty incredible. I mean, my first experience in Europe was definitely an eye opener. They do it a whole different way. And, you know, one tenth can be the difference between, you know, qualifying second and then qualifying like ninth. <laughs> so it's tight field and it really teaches you how to race. Like you said, it's pretty grassroots. So, you know, the tolerances are small. What you do in the cart makes a big difference and it teaches you great fundamentals. I think racing in the USA and racing in, in Europe and that kind of, you know, 2017 to early 2019 span when I stopped karting, that's really what transformed me into a regular racer to someone that had, um, you know, real poise on the racetrack. Yeah. Yeah. And so then you moved into open, how old were you when you moved into, uh, you know, to, to actual cars? I was 15 years old. So like I wasn't even eligible for a driver's license. That was like the running joke. Like I didn't even have my, my G1 as we call it here in Canada and I was driving a race car. Yeah, and and you started off. Uh, was it F sixteen hundred in Canada? Is that where you got your start? And it seems like you uh, seems like you did pretty well. Uh, you know, right right from the beginning there. Yeah, Formula sixteen hundred or like Formula Ford, as some people might know it as, uh, kind of like you know used to be the standard for like entry level open wheel racing, uh, and now it's you know kind of getting phased out by F four. But we have a good program here in Canada. Uh, so my first year in 2019, I won Rookie of the Year. And then my second year, I managed to win the championship and become the, the youngest Canadian ever to do so. So it was a really good two years. And the Formula 1600 program taught me how to drive a race car because, you know, believe it or not, it's a lot different from a car. Yeah, no, I'm sure. Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure it is. I can kind of drag myself around a track in a car. I don't know how. I don't know how well I would do uh, <laughs> in, in a Formula Ford. <laughs> Um, and so then from there you went to, well, where do you went from us, USF four now? How, how does that, if you're up in Canada, is that kind of an automatic thing that, okay, at some point you're, you're going to have to go to the U S I mean, how, you know, how, at what point do you reach where, you know, you feel like you, you need to, you know, kind of expand your horizons a little bit. You definitely hit the nail on the head. It got to a point where we were kind of looking at different options and almost just outgrew, you know, the Canadian car racing scene in terms of open wheel, right? Because once you finish from the Ford in Canada, there's nowhere else to go if you want to drive something without a roof. So naturally the the progression is to move down south and, you know, we were looking at the USF Ford championship, uh, tested really well in the car. And then we kind of made that, that jump for the 2021 season, which was a little bit intimidating, but I think we got our, our feet under us pretty quick. Yeah, I mean, did you did you skip any steps there? Or is it, you know, was there options to maybe do like uh, like the Formula Regional North America? Was there anything else that was on your radar, and and what made you feel like um, USF four was was the place to go? I always say that I was kind of born, you know, on the wrong side of the pond, and I started racing a little bit late for Europe. <laughs> so you know, every you know young driver looks at Europe and they dream of it. Uh, but for us, it wasn't realistic, especially financially. So USF four was kind of what we were eyeing, and then we managed to put together a program to do it. Sure, sure. And and how many how many seasons did you do one season there, or how how long were you uh, involved there? Yeah, so rookie year was twenty twenty one. I only did that season. We finished second in the championship with the most wins. So it was a, it was a good year. Unfortunately, came up a little bit short. It went down, you know, to the wire. Uh, but a good a good learning year for me. Yeah, sure, and and that obviously what it came right after you know twenty twenty when when everybody was going through a, a bit of a surprising challenge, uh, did that prove disruptive to you at all? How did you how did you you know continue to progress during uh, during you know during COVID in twenty twenty? I think we were fortunate enough to still get a season in, and that was awesome. You know, nothing really changed on my end. The season started like two months later, but like most racers, you know, I was on the simulator getting prepped, like just, you know, biting my nails to get back in the race car. Uh, and, you know, the Formula 1600 program ran really well in 2020. Yeah, that's great. Cause I know in, in other sports, there was certainly, 
you know, there was certainly issues there where, you know, people had bad timing in terms of their development, um, you know, kind of had to sit out for a little, you know, for, for an extended period of time. Uh, and then from there you got on to, I don't, I don't believe it's officially called the road to Indy anymore, but I, <laughs> it is still kind of the road to get to Indy if that's your goal. Uh, so how did, you know, how did your initial move, uh, into, into the, the three-step ladder there come about? So after 2021, coming up short in the championship, we were almost kind of, you know, lost in the middle of what to do because we didn't have the funding to make the step to Formula Regional without the scholarship. And, you know, I was kind of down in the dumps, didn't really, you know, know. Uh, and then the USF Pro Championships at the time, the Road to Indy came out with this USF Juniors program. And we were like, oh, this is really cool. Like if we go do that and we think we'll be very competitive, we can win a scholarship to race USF 2000. So that's what we did. We went, we did USF juniors in, uh, in 2022 and managed to win the championship. And that kind of gave us the ability to keep moving up the ladder, just like we planned. Yeah. Now that we, we've heard uh, a couple other drivers talk about the importance of those, you know, th those scholarships helping you kind of take the next step. Was that really, would you possibly maybe had to have done, you know, a, a second year, uh, in juniors, if, if you didn't go on and, and win the championship right from, right from the first go around? I believe so. I don't even know if we would have been, you know, racing juniors if I didn't win the scholarship. It was still a struggle to get on the grid for the next year, even with it. Um, you know, the scholarship program is wonderful and I give a ton of credit to the USF pro championships and, and the job they do to help move talent up the ladder. But I mean, the scholarship is only about two thirds of what you need to run a season. So you still have to bring budget to the table. Sure. Sure. And, and, and what, you know, what is that like? What, you know, what is, uh, you know, what goes into for you, uh, trying to kind of put that all together? I mean, just, just, just looking at your side, it seems like you have a, a, a pretty impressive group of, of sponsors that are kind of helping you along the way. And, you know, is that something that you've kind of had to learn as you go along or, you know, how, how did that all come about? So I'm very fortunate, um, this past year, as well as going into 2024, I have three big supporters. Uh, Mr. Bill Klubine and Klubine Motorsports, Mr. Angelo Paletta and TNG Exotics, both of which are Canadian. So that's a cool tie. You know, it's kind of about getting Canadian talent up the ladder, supporting the next kid. And then Mr. Corey Zass in Actuary Risk Management, who's based in Austin. So those three individuals and what they do really contribute to my program and try to push me all the way up to IndyCar. And I was fortunate enough that my dad at a young age always instilled the fact that the business side of racing is almost more important than what you do on track. Because like we talked about before we jumped on air, the funding to keep going up the ladder, it's, it's not like any other sport. You really need to hustle off the track to make sure you get in the race car. Yeah, sure. And uh, you also, uh, you're working with a, an organization called the Road to Racing. Uh, can you, you talk a little bit about what, uh, you know, what they do? And because that, that definitely sounds like a bit of a, a unique organization that is, is really kind of dialed into trying to help racers, uh, you know, with, with, with that situation, with the, with all the funding. Road to racing is super cool. So Neil Braun is the gentleman who's pioneering it. And it's essentially a system to bring, you know, funding into our racing program, but we do it through a charitable organization. So a donor, usually it's more of kind of a philanthropy type deal, gets a charitable tax receipt. So it's an incentive to kind of donate to our racing program. And Road to Racing is all about helping young Canadian race car drivers try to move up to the next discipline and, you know, support growth and kind of like grassroots racing program. So I'm really lucky that, you know, they put this together in, in the last year or so. And I hope to grow with them all the way to the Indy 500. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, do you feel like in some ways that's kind of an advantage for you that, uh, you know, as a Canadian, you know, you're, you're trying to, you know, to, to make a move into any car, uh, you know, do you feel like that kind of helps you kind of bring sponsors that are, you know, whether it's a, some of the, you know, a, a successful Canadian or a Canadian business, uh, you feel like that kind of gives you a bit of a kind of a unique, uh, approach to, to going about getting funding. I would say yes and no. I mean, as a country, Canada, our GDP or whatever you want to call it, like we're a lot smaller than the United States, right? So I think there's a lot less capital to be thrown around, especially into racing. But at the same time, I do love playing up like the patriotic Canadian. It's, it's, it's who I am, man. I, I was born in Toronto. I love this country. I want to go win another Indy 500 for Canada. So, you know, kind of taking that and running with it is also an advantage at the same time when you're pitching these big corporations and, and trying to get them to come on board and really support the Canadian kid that's hopefully going to IndyCar. 
Yeah, yeah, definitely. That's what I mean. I guess it's kind of a, you know, it can be a bit of a double-edged sword, but certainly, um, you know, you're starting to emerge and, you know, and, and again, you've already represented your country twice, uh, which, you know, that's it's not something everyone gets to do, certainly, you know, certainly at, at your young age. And, uh, you know, so now you're, you moved from juniors into USF 2000, and that's that's what you did last year. How did uh, how did that go for you, and, and how did that kind of set things up for this year? It was a challenging year. Uh, we only had two wins on the season. I think we finished fourth or fifth in the Drivers' Championship. And honestly, it was not what I had hoped going into it. Our, our goal was the championship, and uh, obviously we didn't come out with, um, with that prize. But I did do a lot of learning inside of it you know i think anytime there's adversity uh it can be tough to see the good in it but it's it's something that i had to do this year and i'm really looking forward to our pro program i think that our car and our package is going to be super strong i myself feel like i'm ready and the d force boys have been like a family to me ever since i started with them in 2022 and we're ready to go to battle uh in about just over two weeks in st petersburg florida yeah yeah definitely and, and how do you you know again your, your progress has been you know you're moving up really quickly and you know how do you how do you mentally prepare yourself for for each of these new steps right i imagine that you know going into this you know the the drivers are going to be better uh you know the teams are going to are going to be you know more professional more put together you know you're changing the type of car that you're driving every year uh you know so are there are any any you know any any processes that you use just to kind of mentally prepare yourself to get ready as you continue to take all these steps? I think what I'm learning now is the important thing is not to put too much pressure on yourself. I tend to be you know my own um, I guess toughest critic if that's what you want to word it. And I actually did a one-off race in August last year at, in USF Pro 2000 uh, at Circuit of the Americas on the F1 track. And going into it, I really tried to make sure that I didn't set expectations too high for myself and it was actually our best weekend of the year like we put it on pole and we had two podiums so that was kind of instant justification for me and now i know that i do have the ability to race on this level and i can compete with these guys yeah definitely i, I think i've heard actually many drivers say something similar that it's when they when they start to put pressure on themselves or when they, when they start to really get kind of you kind of almost like tighten up on the wheel and you start to overthink everything and i I would imagine driving a race car is not the type of not not the time to start overthinking and and uh, <laughs> and now, now when you went to the circuit of the Americas was that your was that your first time having the opportunity to race there and and you know what what is that like when you when you go to a track uh, you know for, for the first time that was super cool it actually wasn't my first time there um, I, I won the championship of the year the year previous in juniors um, but regardless like super cool facility but to further answer your question about new circuits I think uh, simulator work is a big tool for my generation right so if the sims if the tracks on iRacing pardon me then we try to do a lot of prep beforehand right because iRacing does a super good job and all the bumps and nooks and crannies and, and curbing is all very close between the sim in real life so you can kind of get prepped that way and then like any sport I'll watch a little film so I'll get you know whether it's old YouTube videos uh stuff that the usf pro championships has posted uh i'll do as much research as i can but it's always a challenge and i enjoy driving new tracks i mean i was always uh one when i was younger to kind of ex always explore our options and my dad would always take me to as many tracks as possible put me in as, as many different cars as possible because i think as a race car driver it's important to be able to adapt quickly yeah i mean can, can you talk about that a little bit as well like as you've you know you move up these these three steps what changes in the car, you know, from, from juniors to 2000, are the cars, you know, what, what are you trying to adjust to, uh, you know, when, when you move from one to the next? I think on the USF pro championships, it's primarily just the speed as weird as that sounds like, I, it sounds like a basic answer, but the tires are bigger. There's more downforce, right? The car is heavier in some cases. So things change a lot from inside the cockpit and your brain just kind of has to work and process things faster in order for you to be successful on any given lap, you know, whether it's practice, a qualifying lap or the race. So it's really just a level up with your mind each time, um, as well as the physical aspects too. I mean, it gets harder to drive. So I think the pro car I kind of took to naturally, um, I tend to be a bit aggressive in the car, you know, with my entry speed, that's kind of the way I drive. Not to say I can't adjust, but uh, I think I took to it quite naturally and I'm hoping that'll help me out this year in 2024. Yeah, and is that something that just kind of 
develops naturally, like your your own particular driving style, or you know, do you you know, like you said, your your dad your dad and other people kind of helped you out along the way. Is that just something that you kind of have to find what works for you? And and, and you know, how does that kind of how does that process play out, or or is it just something you don't really spend too much time thinking about? I never really thought about it, but I think as you drive more and more and you work with different coaches or engineers, you know, they start to point out trends. And I really don't like that. Like, I want to be the driver that can do things any which way. I want to have tools in my tool bag uh, that allow me to manipulate the car in, you know, various methods so that I'm never confined to one box. Um, so I, I try to not have a driving style, as, you know, strange as that might sound. Um, but I think it's important as a driver to be able to do you know, anything and everything. And that's how you're going to be successful. Yeah. And I mean, I've heard like Peter Windsor, for example, has talked about how, you know, no, no two laps are the same, right? It's, you're never, you, the, you know, the, the, the tread on the tire, the track conditions, you know, is that something that, again, to go, kind of go back to iRacing, is that something that shows up in iRacing or doesn't show up that, you know, it, you, you can't just go around the track in the exact same way every single time. And, and, you know, how does that kind of, when you're actually on track in real life, you know, how does the track develop, uh, you know, over the course of a weekend? You always have to be searching, man. And in our case, a lot of the time we're supporting for IndyCar, right? So, you know, after IndyCar goes out and all that Firestone rubber is laid down, the track is completely different for us, especially because we're not on Firestones, right? So that rubber can really make the track um, a lot different from our previous session. And, and sometimes we go six, seven hours in between sessions. So the team has to be on top of it. I have to be on top of it. And then answering your question about the sim, uh, it's going to sound a little whack, but I actually do a, quite a bit of dirt racing because it really simulates track change. I don't know if you've ever watched like World of Outlaws or even like spring car racing at lower levels. If you watch the track evolve throughout the night, because, you know, they start when the sun's kind of going down and they finish like 11 or 12 at night, uh, the track gets packed in, you know, the rubber lines form, and then you see guys exploring the top, the bottom of the racetrack, and they're always looking around for grip. So I think that's like a cool little tidbit. Um, but I really do enjoy dirt racing on iRacing because it does kind of give you that, I got to search around, I got to figure out the track each and every lap kind of feel that you might get on a, on a race weekend with IndyCar. Yeah, that, that, that's really interesting. And I, I know that's, I don't know if that's as prevalent as it used to be. There are certainly a lot of drivers that used to get uh, into IndyCar having come up, you know, in 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 that type of environment before they before they got to IndyCar. Um, have you done any other? Have you done any sports car racing to this point? Is that something that's on your radar? You know, if an opportunity came about, or or are you just kind of solely focused uh, on on open wheel for the time being. Sports car racing is 100% on my radar. I mean, I will take any opportunity um, that I'm given in a car with four wheels. That's that's, that's what I say, right? Uh, I did my first proper GT car race this past March uh, with Valkyrie Velocity in a GT4 Porsche. And that was like, dude, such a blast. I loved it. Like the tin top was, it was really cool. And it's something that I would definitely go back to given the uh, given the chance. Yeah, 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 definitely. I, I, I think it's a lot of we were talking uh, with with Stu Leslie from Off in the S's a couple of weeks ago, and, and he said that that's another thing that, as a as an IMSA fan, he always enjoys that there's so many like young and up and coming uh, drivers from like Indy NXT that are also you know turning up on the IMSA weekends as well. Um, and I think a lot of them have just said, look, any any opportunity to get in a car and race is is an opportunity to get in a car and race. Um, and so, you know, uh, the goal is definitely IndyCar. Um, and, and, you know, what's, do you kind of feel like at this point in your career where, you know, as young as you are with the success that you've had, uh, you know, do, do you really still feel kind of like, you know, the sky's the limit with you in terms of what you can achieve uh, when you, when you find your way to Indy? Yes. My goal is to be, you know, the best IndyCar driver the world has ever seen. And I think that is something that is possible. We need to just keep, keep pushing the program up. Uh, I need to keep getting better. And I think, you know, as long as I'm the best version of myself, I don't see any reason why we can't be, you know, Indy 500 champions, Indy car champions, and uh, so forth and so forth. I mean, like you said, this guy's the limit. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's, I think that's definitely, you know, perfect attitude to have. Like I said, you know, you're young, you've been successful. So there's no reason to think that that, uh, you know, that won't continue. Um, and, and, you know, you were, you were recognized as well by the Canadian Motorsport Hall of Fame. Uh, with with a rising star award, can you talk a little bit about how, again, in addition to you know representing Canada, uh, you know how how do how do those moments kind of feel, 
uh, you know, and, and to experience at such a young age. It's definitely validation because I like to say I have a bit of confidence in terms of the way I drive a race car or the way I carry myself. But, you know, as a young athlete, I think we all have a little bit of self-doubt uh, inside and, and moments like that where, you know, your peers uh, or even people that you don't know may give you this kind of piece of recognition. It, it feels really good. And um, I'd like to thank Mr. Lockhart at the uh, the Hall of Fame and the whole board for that last year. The um, the 2023 ceremony was actually a few days ago and we were there at the at the gala night and it was really, really, really cool. So that little tidbit was was awesome. And then my mentor, James Hinchcliffe, actually got, actually got inducted into the hall this year, um, which was really, really cool to go see. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Now, do you, the recognition is great. And I, I think one thing that, that always kind of stands out to me with, with race car drivers is you have to have a high level of confidence to do what you're what you're doing, right? I mean, if you don't have confidence to to get in the car and go at the speeds that you go at, you know, I, I can't imagine that, you, that that's really a time to have self doubt. Not at all. You can't be second guessing yourself going into turn one at you know whatever it is, 150 miles an hour, right? You need to have full confidence in your ability and uh, to make those laps work. There can't be any self doubt. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Now, do you do you feel like that that recognition from you know the 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 Canadian Motorsport Hall of Fame. Uh, does that put healthy pressure on you to kind of now, okay, I need to, I really need to kind of follow this up and, and go and have the success, not only that, that you think you're capable of, uh, but now that other people are starting to see you as someone who's going to, who's going to deliver and have a, have a, a big career. Yeah, a little bit. I try to take it, you know, as all positivity, like, it's awesome to have those eyes on me. And I really want to get, you know, the country of Canada to support what we're doing. Uh, I want to give them someone to root for, you know, someone they can cheer on in the Indy 500, hopefully. So I, uh, I really enjoyed that night. It was a special honor. And uh, I look forward to hopefully having more of those moments in the near future. Yeah, yeah, sure. And so in addition to, you know, you're racing, uh, you're, you're in your second year of university, you know, you're trying to do, you know, you're working out, you're doing sim racing, uh, you know, you're doing, you're doing all this stuff. Uh, you also have a, a you know, you have a, a, an, an apparel line. How did that, you know, how, how do these types of things come about? Like, is it, is it just, look, I need to try and find a creative way to add a revenue stream. Um, and you know, how, how did that all kind of come about? Cause not, not that many drivers have, uh, you know, have, have already got going with their with their own type of apparel line and that sort of thing. That's actually really cool that you mentioned that. Thank you. Um, my apparel line's been, been kind of dormant for the past few years. Like initially we did it as kind of a way to uh, market me, not necessarily as like a revenue stream. We do it with a company based in Oakville uh, here near Toronto called Entropy. And they're awesome. Like all our stuff is made to order. It's, you know, printed in Canada, which is cool. But literally like the last two months, I've been kind of revamping our stuff. So we're going to push out some new products. Um, I mean, I know this video is not going to, or the podcast is not going to have video, but this new hat that I'm wearing, like that's going to be, it's a prototype, but it's going to be something looking like this. Um, and I'm going to start to kind of, you know, roll that stuff out again. Cause I think it is a cool way to not only generate a little bit of revenue for myself, but also, you know, get my name uh, out there to people and, and hopefully give them someone to cheer for it and root for at the racetrack. Yeah, definitely. I mean, if you're out there, people are seeing you, you know, if, you, if you're doing well, then it's, you know, it's, I think, you know, any, any team in any sport, you know, is, is they're all trying to give people ways to kind of show that support and wear it at the track. And, uh, but yeah, that's definitely just a really interesting thing to, to kind of gotten going alongside, uh, you know, alongside everything else you're doing, uh, you know, at such a young age. Uh, and that's, a, that's, a, it, you know, is it, is it difficult at times to be, you know, look, you're, you're, you're 18, 19 years old, you know, you're a young guy, uh, and you're spending your weekends, you know, kind of flying all over the place. Do you, you know, does that kind of motivate you? Like, look, if I'm, if I'm going to these lanes, I've really got to kind of deliver on it. You know, what is, what is that like? I mean, do you have friends that are not race car drivers or are all your friends pretty much race car drivers at this point? <laughs> I have a good mix of both, but it is tough to balance like a regular social life while also being in school and trying to become a professional race car driver. Time management's key. Um, my dad's been really good at helping me out with that. I mean, my whole family really has. And you, you can't possibly have a program like this without the support of, you know, your mother, father, siblings, and, and they're all awesome. They all give me what I need, the, the tools that I need to, to try to become a race car driver. 
but it is a little strange in that sense. And I do kind of lean on my friends for, for support and, uh, my girlfriend too. I mean, I've been with her for almost four years now, which is crazy to say, um, because I'm so young, but she's really my rock and she gives me a lot of support in that sense. Yeah, I'm sure that's really important too to kind of have a, a good support group around you, and uh, you know, to, and also having some friends outside of racing, right? If you kind of want to think about something that has to, doesn't have to do with a race car for a little bit and kind of switch it <laughs> off, and um, I'm, I'm sure that can help a little bit, you know, uh, from w- when you have time to switch off anyway. Exactly. And, uh, you know, a fresh perspective is always good. Like, yeah, sometimes take your mind off racing. You know, go with them, sit, like watch the Super Bowl or something like that. It's it's nice to get away from it and then get right back to work. Yeah, yeah. Now, the team that you're racing with this year do you do you have teammates? Uh, and 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 how many how many you know other drivers are you going to be on the same team with? Yeah, so we're going to have three entries in the USF Pro Championships um, category with D-Force Racing. I'm going to be racing along uh, alongside my teammate George, who I had last year, as well as Nico, who's a new addition to our team. So I think we'll have a, a good group of drivers, and we'll be kind of leading the charge on uh, on developing uh, the car and, and seeing what we can do for the Constructors' Championship. Yeah, now what what is that like? I, I For those of us that only have access to Drive to Survive, which is sometimes accurate and sometimes a little played up, <laughs> Uh, like what, what are, what are those relationships like? Cause you're, you know, it's, you're characterized as teammates, right. But it, everyone knows that at the end of the day, right. You're all out there in the same equipment. So you're going to be comparing each other. Uh, you know, you're going to be kind of looking at what they're doing really good. How does the, how does that dynamic work where, yeah, your teammates, all three, I'm sure you really want to do well, but only one, you know, only one car wins is only, there's only three spots on the podium. You know, how do, how do those kind of dynamics play out over the course of a season? It is a bit of a weird relationship. Like we tend to help each other as much as we can, but then, you know, it gets down to the last five laps and it's like, you know, every man for himself. So I try to be, you know, very nice to my teammates off the track. Um, always, you know, be friendly, have friends, make it a good time. If you're not having a good time at the racetrack, then, then why are you there kind of thing, right? Um, that's my opinion. So I'd consider myself close with the guys, uh, but when it comes to uh, the race time or getting that checkered flag, it's it's a little strange to navigate. But I mean, the number one rule is don't smash your teammate off. <laughs> yeah, that seems to be the one thing that is pretty accurate. From yeah, any time the two drivers have come together on track, the the team principal's reaction seems to be that was not the plan. <laughs> <laughs> Never give the team when that happens. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm sure not. And you know, with with these cars that are. You, you know, the, the development aspect is limited, you know, when you're trying to give feedback as to like the setup of the car, is there, are, does it kind of get pushed where you're, are you all able to kind of give different types of feedback and have the cars set up slightly differently or, or is it kind of end up just being pretty much all the same setup? It's actually cool to watch sometimes. Like we were doing some preseason testing uh, in New Orleans in December and we have three cars with three different drivers. And we started with three different setup packages. And as our kind of day and a half, two days of testing came to a close, we all were in the debrief room, literally laughing because we ended up with all like very similar packages, even though we started, you know, somewhere completely different. So that kind of speaks to the level of the drivers in the series and how we give feedback and, you know, the type of car that we like. So drivers have preferences and there tends to be, you know, definitely, um, some small details that are different on the race cars, but generally we, we end up heading in a similar direction. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, how much, how much, how much can you really feel these adjustments? Like, it's not like you go out with one setup and then you go out with something slightly different and all of a sudden, you know, it feels like a completely different car. I mean, is it just, how do you, you know, how do you decide on, I guess, what, what feedback to, to give when you come in and, 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 you know, like how much can really be kind of developed there? Giving feedback is honestly one of the hardest parts about being a, a race car driver at the top level, right? Because you need to work with your engineer to get the car better so you can do the lap time. So sometimes it's a little bit difficult to articulate, you know, what, for lack of a better word, like your bum is feeling into your brain and then, you know, speaking that out to your engineer to make the car go faster. So it, it's something that I'm still improving at. Uh, I consider you know myself a, a good feedback giver, but you can never be perfect. And so 
like when you move up to a category like USF Pro and there's lots of different adjustments you can make to the car, it's pretty complex. And, uh, you know, testing is really important for kind of getting the swing of things and, and it kind of explaining to my engineer, David, you know, what I need to go faster. Yeah. And is it, is it ever difficult coming back the other way, the feedback that you might be getting from the engineers or are they able to kind of put it to you? Uh, I mean, I, so I, I have friends that are engineers and then sometimes they try to explain something to me and I, I, I get lost very quickly. <laughs> <laughs> are they able to put it to you in, you know, in, in understandable, uh, you know, terminology to kind of help you figure out what's going on? Generally, yeah, I'd say they're really good. Uh, I'm fortunate enough to have David Martinez, who's actually a partial owner of D-Force, but he was a very prolific race car driver uh, back in the day. He raced in the kart series. So having someone that's an engineer and a driver communicate with you is super helpful because, you know, he understands almost what I'm feeling inside the car. And then he puts it in his engineering mind and uh, spits out a solution. Yeah, no, that, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I think that I think that probably goes a long way to having been a been a driver, so he knows kind of what you're what you're looking for in terms of feedback and 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 how to word it and yeah and all that sort of stuff. Uh, so so with you know with this this team uh, and and everything kind of coming together for you, you know, are there any? I'm I'm sure you're excited to get out there for the first time uh, in in three weeks. But you know, what tracks are you looking forward to? Uh, you know, the, the most over the course of the season. I have two that I'm eyeing on the calendar. Well, actually, that's a lie. I have three. I get I get too excited, man. Um, <laughs> I'd say uh, Lucas Oil Raceway Park. That's definitely one that I'm eyeing up. My first oval race last year was there in USF 2000, and we put it on pole. We led all 75, and we won. So, you know, for my first time turn left, it went really well, <laughs> to be quite frank. And uh, I want to win it again. I mean, that would be super cool to win the Freedom 75, then the Freedom 90 back-to-back. Uh, Toronto, Toronto is a huge one for us because it's, you know, the only time I race at home, I was born here. This is where all my supporters are from. So it'll be by far our biggest event of the year. Uh, hopefully we'll have like a pink suite with all our partners in it. That'll be awesome. Uh, and then the other one I'd say is, uh, Elkhart Lake or Road America. It's just, I mean, an all time great. I think it's the best track in the U S. Yeah, definitely. I, I think the, having a, I mean, that's, that's a real home race, right? I mean, that you're you're from Toronto. It's in Toronto. Uh, I'm sure I'm sure that'll be a really you know a special occasion for you, and and you know hopefully something you'll be able to come back to, uh, you know, for the next several years as well. Um, so yeah, so look, Mac, we really appreciate the time. Uh, it, it, super interesting story. Uh, so we really appreciate you taking the time to share it with us. And uh, yeah, uh, we you know we look forward to seeing you out on track this season. And uh, you know hopefully you continue to have uh, you know the amazing level of success that you've had so far. Much appreciated. Thank you very much for having me on. It was a great time. Um, and I hope you'll be back. I mean, hopefully we can do this again in like a year time or, or something a little sooner. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, we'd love to catch up and and see how you're doing and, uh, you know, see how everything goes for you. Sounds good, my man. Thank you. fun conversation there with Mac, uh, who certainly looks well on his way uh, to making it to IndyCar, IndyCar in the not-too-distant future. And, and he certainly seems to have, you know, a well-balanced levels of confidence and enthusiasm. Uh, he's got a strong supporting group around him as well. And, uh, you know, th- those those are three things that, uh, you know, that, that any driver, especially, you know, at, at such a young age, uh, you really need all those things. You've got to be confident to, to keep taking these keep taking these steps, uh, you know, increasing levels of competition, uh, more powerful cars, you know, more downforce on the cars. Uh, you know, so again, I think the confidence definitely has to be there to, you know, to, to do what these drivers do. Uh, and, you know, he's got a ton of enthusiasm. You, know, you can tell that he clearly loves it. He's enjoying, he's enjoying every minute of it. You know, he's enjoying the on-track stuff, the off-track stuff. Uh, you know, he's, he's coming around to enjoying himself at the gym as well, which is, you know, a, a necessary component uh, to, you know, Particularly being, you know, any type of race car driver, but again, like you said, you know, there's no power steering in those cars, so it, that's uh, there's certainly a, a, a level of muscle muscle that you need to have to be able to, you know, control those cars at, at high speeds and and you know in tight corners uh, without any benefit at all from you know from from power steering. Uh, you know, it's, it's 
certainly hard enough for me to, you know, complete my morning commute uh, with power steering. So, you know, getting into a, a race without that aid, uh, again, definitely just adds a, a whole nother physical challenge uh, in addition to, to everything else that, you know, that these drivers uh, face when they're, you know, when they're out on track. And, uh, you know, he's like you mentioned, he's got a great supporting group around him. I think that's tremendously beneficial as well. You know, whether you're, you know, if you're, if you're doing well, to maybe kind of keep you level-headed if you're going through a bit of a rut, you know, to kind of help you stay, uh, you know, keep steady and, and keep your confidence up. And, uh, you know, and of course, you can have all the confidence, enthusiasm, and support in the world, but the two other things that you need are, uh, you know, you need to be quick, which he's certainly shown that he is, and, you know, you need to be able to put the funding together. And uh, he, he seems to be, uh, you know, well on his way to, to developing a way to, to you know, to, to make that happen. Uh, you know, working with his sponsors, uh, find some creative ways to, you know, uh, enable people to support him. Uh, and again, there's just there's just so much that goes into, um, you know, what, what we see when we watch a race. And like all of our guests, I think they've really done a great job of kind of explaining just, you know, what is what is so unique about all the things that they have to do uh, just to get themselves on a racetrack, uh, you know, a couple dozen times a year. And, uh, you know, speaking of, of guests that have joined us earlier in the year, uh, Nathan Saxon announced today that he's headed to Spain. Uh, he'll be competing in the final round of the Molnar Motorsport LMP shootout. Uh, he's going back over to try and, and compete for a seat in the Prototype Cup Germany, where uh, he'll be driving an LMP3 car. He had mentioned that. Uh, when we interviewed him, he had actually just come back from Portugal. Uh, so he's moved on to the, the final round of, of, of this shootout. Uh, with Molnar Motorsport, uh, and you know, if it if it goes well, and you know, it, it certainly uh, you know, wishing the best of luck and hope that it does. Uh, if it goes well, he could potentially be putting himself in line to you know to to get a drive and a seat there uh, for the full season of the Prototype Cup Germany. And you know, he really enjoyed that experience. Uh, the the LMP3 car. He said it was just you know just uh, great to be able to get behind the wheel of one of those. Uh, so he's got an opportunity to do that again next week. And uh, you know, if you want to keep up with his progress, you can certainly do it here. Uh, but you can also follow uh, him over on Instagram as well. Uh, I'm sure he'll keep us all up to date on how he does uh, next week, and and hopefully that drive comes together for him. Uh, as for us, next week, we're kicking off two weeks of F1, F1 coverage with Aaron Guy LaRue. Uh, he's the creator of the Installation Lab, which covers F1 over on Substack. Uh, Aaron's going to talk with us about uh, where things are with the Andretti bid to join F1, Haas, Logan Sargent, probably a little bit of uh, Drive to Survive, uh, what he thought of preseason testing, and more. Uh, so... You can look forward to that next week. And in the meantime, you can catch up with any of our episodes you missed so far. And be sure to subscribe to the pod wherever you get your podcasts from uh, and join our Substack as well. We'd love to hear your feedback in our Substack chat. Uh, so give us a follow and let us know what you think so far. And uh, until then, we'll see you next week.